Hello and welcome to the Herb Digest podcast. I'm William Law, editor of the Digest, and my guest today is His Royal Highness Prince Al Hassan bin Talal of Jordan. Prince Hassan has long advocated on behalf of interfaith and humanitarian issues, with particular stress on the human dimension of conflicts. The conflict that is foremost in his mind today is that between Palestine and Israel, which in its most recent iteration has burst into violence after Israeli security forces' actions at Al-Aqsa Mosque and the attempted eviction of Palestinians from their homes in the East Jerusalem quarter of Sheikh Jarrah. Thank you, Your Royal Highness, for being on the Arab Digest podcast, and may I wish you Eid Mubarak. Eid Mubarak to you, sir. And I thank you again for speaking on this holiday. I feel it's my duty. What could be more virtuous than to talk about Jerusalem at the time of our Eid? I wanted to to begin uh, by asking you about the the escalation of, of violence that's uh, occurred overnight. Uh, a very a very grim Eid Mubarak for many Palestinians in in Gaza, in Israel, and and, and in East Jerusalem. Can I have your reaction to to what's happening? My feeling is that, um, as was described by Michael Manikin for the Forum for Regional Thinking a few short weeks ago, he questioned, is it possible to fight against separation and promote it at the same time? From that hypothesis, I was deeply impressed by Sam Bahour and Bernard Avishai, who supported the establishment of an Israeli-Palestinian formula. And and, uh, subsequently, we've seen the movement called Land for All. But in reality, the violence is basically emphasizing polarity and phrases such as we are here, they are there, and the villa and the jungle, uh, emphasizes the fact that they are two separate, notionally, uh, entities. And my personal uh, point of departure has always been freedom and national equality. And I think that there are many of those on both sides of the divide who believe in freedom and uh, equality, who believe that a person who lives within a political project, the goal of which is disinheritance and the oppression of Palestinians, cannot uh, fight through the same mechanisms. So I would like to suggest that any settler who wants to fight against the occupation, whether they are a member of a land for all, as many can put it, or not, should ask themselves why they do not move within the borders of the Green Line until an agreement. Just as every soldier who opposes the occupation must ask themselves honestly, as Manikin says, if their actions contribute to the fight against the occupation or counteract it. Secondly, those settlers who support national equality should fight against any destruction of Palestinian homes or villages in Area C. We talk about settlers and the rest uh, as though they are uh, distances from each other, but the distances are minimal, as should be impressed on our Western audience. Thirdly, the settlement that should be challenged from within are not being challenged, and the voices of uh, liberals or uh, people who love the soil are not, are not heard. And I would just remind you, of the words of uh, Benjamin Disraeli, a Sephardic Jew who converted to Anglicanism and reputedly died a Roman Catholic. 
When he asked what need of cascade and cataract, the deep green turf, the foliage of the fairest trees, the impenetrable forest, i.e., we claim that we have um, some conscience about Jerusalem, but we think of Jerusalem in uh, exalted utopian terms. But on the other hand, when you have observed, as he said, Calvary and Zion, the gates of Bethlehem and Damascus, the hill of Titus, the mosque of Muhammad and the tomb of Christ, even Gaza, which as uh, in my uh, lineage would have been referred to as Ghazat Hashim, our great-great-grand forebear. There's a history that is deeply entwined. As Sharif of Mecca and king of the Hijaz, my great-grandfather presided over principal routes of pilgrimage and respect for each other's holy places was ingrained in the, in the tradition of hospitality. We see nothing of that today, and I'm not at all surprised that this escalation is uh, taking place because we're headed towards either uh, a, a great conflagration or maybe to uh, a moment of pause. I think this COVID has been called the anthropause. Maybe we can move from the anthropause to an anthroportal, to a reconfiguration. But uh, I don't see much of that at the moment, especially as the Middle East has been marginalized, as we're continuously told, in terms of the strategy of the uh, G5, though the Security Council 5, the SG5. In the article you wrote for Arab Digest, you said, and I quote, Jerusalem is a shared gift, not the exclusive property of one government or one people. Could you expand on that? General Allenby, when he entered uh, Jerusalem, and incidentally, it's interesting to note for those of you who know that Faisal I and the Arab Renaissance movement entered Damascus first with their uh, allies behind them. Uh, Allenby entered Jerusalem first with the French and uh, the British and sent uh, a a message to um, King George to say, uh, and I think this was supported by the prime minister of the time, this is a suitable Christmas present for the British people. So I, I want to say that um, uh, Jerusalem is either a, a, a reality in the mind of the West, or it is a, 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 a living, breathing uh, um, icon on top of that hill uh, for all of us who live not only in the region, but also beyond. And I don't see how this icon can be uh, uh, revered by the three religions unless, as the British uh, uh, professor Michael Dumper has put it very well, the management of holy spaces attended to. This is not about politicking. It is about holy space in Jerusalem, as you see in the Holy See. The Holy See is holy space. The government of Italy is something else. I don't think any single government, Ottoman, British, Jordanian, uh, Israeli, uh, is capable of attending to the requirements of millions and billions of uh, believers all over the world. And even those who don't believe, I think, are uh, desperately in need of not only the right to protection, right to protect, but the right to mutual respect. On that basis, the United Kingdom's uh, historical role in Jerusalem and the region places a great responsibility 
and I, on, on the government of Britain, and I think that the, um, the concept of the Balfour project, let's hear it for the Arab mandate, not only for the Jewish mandate, uh, Israel, Palestine in search of the rule of law is to be commended because once again, they are bringing everyone, excluding no one. This is a, uh, a two-day conference coming up on the 25th and the 26th of May. So you have uh, top lawyers, uh, Christians, Muslims, and Jews, as well as uh, other disciplines participating in the discussion of international law as indispensable in the search for a just Middle East peace. Jerusalem should be placed au-delà, as the French would say, above the uh, uh, narrow private interest and above the politicking and above the cultivation of hatred. You uh, point out in the article numerous international laws and conventions and UN Security Council resolutions that have been ignored really over decades. What does it say about these laws and conventions that they can be so readily set aside? Well, the French philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre organized an Israeli-Palestinian conference titled Peace Now in 1978. And I recall the Israeli-Egyptian peace process with as its height and the conference brought together um, Edward Said on the, on, on the one side and Rabbi Adeline Steinsaltz on the other. And the discussion was rather interesting, I'm sure you would agree. Uh, Rabbi Adin Steinzalt was promoting anti-nationalist, but not anti-Zionist. And for him, he even went as far as to say that uh, Zionism in, uh, in the context of uh, Israel itself gave birth. Uh, Israel is a late product of the Romantic movement, as he puts it, puts it which gave birth to European nationalism. So I think it is absolutely essential to remember that it is possible that we have the opportunity to create a new relationship with the Arab world and Islam than what is accepted in the West. What is accepted in the West is that those rusty nails, whether Kashmir, whether Cyprus, whether Northern Ireland, whether Palestine, should be uh, dealt with as part of uh, a British legacy. And I have a long glossary of terms covering all the international legislation given to me by Sidney Bailey, the, the leader of the Quaker movement at a certain moment. And he points out very clearly that reconciliation is not mentioned in United Nations resolutions. Resolutions are about uh, uh, successes in uh, the press and the media of, of, of struggles in the Security Council. But reconciliation is only mentioned in the, in, in the Bible, the call on the Ephesians and so forth. So I just want to suggest that maybe the fact, and I would uh, uh, quote once again um, uh, Steinsaltz, I believe that the Israelis must strengthen their relationships with the Arab world. Beyond scientific Orientalist academic studies, you know, the British used to be accused of the Arabists uh, going native. And he says, in order to return to the circumstances that existed over a certain period of time in Jerusalem, during which most people knew how to communicate in Arabic and did not need a translator. I would say the same uh, the other way. We should be discussing 
issues on television uh, 24-7 with the Israelis in Hebrew. That's why I learned Hebrew all those years ago. So the uh, resolutions are all very well, but unless we can have an echo of positions expressed by Israelis, when Weizmann, uh, the, the, the first president of Israel, says, it must be said that uh, as far as the world of Islam, they embraced uh, the um, uh, emigres from Spain after the um, uh, horrors of the uh, Inquisition with open arms, and rights were respected. The difference between bridging the gap on human rights and uh, preaching human rights. I remember Sharansky preaching human rights, but in, in reality, uh, isn't this something that should be evolved in terms of pluralism? I wonder if you could talk a little bit, uh, Princess Anna, about the impact on ordinary people of, of the expropriations, the confiscations, the annexations, the illegal settlements, the denial of basic rights. What sort of impact does that have? Well, we have tried, uh, many of us, uh, the founders of Navi Shalom, for example, Wahat al-Salam, the oasis of peace, their supporters in, in, in Europe, particularly in the UK, to develop a new understanding between what we call here the children of Galilee, for example, uh, Christians, Muslims, Jews, beginning to work together and be educated together, sadly, as a result of the violence of recent years, this particular uh, initiative was actually burnt to the ground. I believe it has been since rebuilt. We tried to create the Citizens' Assembly, Mecca, with one C, Middle East Citizens' Assembly, Jews and um, uh, Arabs, both Christian and Muslim, to uh, give a replica of the Helsinki Citizens' Assembly so that we people I mean, as with the Greeks and the Turks, the Greeks and the Turks say, will we get on as people, but the politicians are uh, a bad influence. And I think that as far as uh, the first-hand uh, accounts, a 22-year-old Sheikh Jarrah resident poet and writer, Muhammad al-Kurd, evicted on May the 11th, 2021, and I quote, my grandmother was thrown out of her home in 1948 in Haifa, and she was thrown out again in 67 and again in 2009 when Israeli settler organizations colluding with the Israeli state took over her home. It's scary, but it also has a name. It's settler colonialism. What we're facing in Sheikh Jarrah, in Jerusalem, in the Gaza Strip, and in Lid is colonial violence. And I'm quoting, and it's only allowed because both the state and the settlers know they have impunity. And I could continue with such quotes from the UN Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs, OCHA. I helped create OCHA after it used to be United Nations Disaster Relief Organization, but it's not a disaster, it seems, uh, when it's only limited to human rights. But I personally think that that's wrong because we're committing sociocide, all of us, and ecocide. And uh, Rifqa al-Kurd says, the settlers are not living in my house permanently. They come in groups, dance, pray, and swear at us, and then they leave again, and others come after a hole. I can't see what goes on inside the house because they covered all the windows with cardboard and plexiglass. Now, the point is that the, the settlers claim 
that uh, these uh, lands were bought, they were actually uh, rented by Jewish um, organizations in the late 1840s, but at the same time, they are waqf land, they are religious uh, foundation land. So how could they have changed hands when they have been waqf since the days of Saladin? And this is recorded. And I want to say that as far as the Jordanian rule is concerned, they refer to the Jordanian occupation. That is to say, I heard a commentator on French television yesterday, uh, a Jewish uh, commentator saying, well, nobody complained about Jordanian occupation. Well, it was not occupation. We were asked, my grandfather, to uh, send the Arab Legion under General Glob into the occupied territories and for uh, almost two decades under Jordanian rule the, the rights were respected. However, of course, um, I, I believe that it is also true that in uh, after the occupation uh, of, of Jerusalem, I think it was in 1984, the Israeli, uh, Israeli legal advisor suggested that the question of uh, lands claimed by Israelis should be revisited. And the comment of the Israeli Foreign Office, if I'm not incorrect, here we are, it was maybe this issue should not, this was 1995, forgive me, I do, I do apologize, 1995, that these were legal, legally bought by Is, uh, Israelis, uh, we, we say they were rented, and uh, anyway, the subject was put under the under the table simply because he said, well, what the Israeli Foreign Office said, what's going to happen to the discussion of all these Palestinian lands that are claimed in Haifa and Lid and so forth, so don't let them, don't let the genie out of the, the urn. So I, I think that basically uh, there are, uh, there is such a reciprocity of issues that we need to move towards a more methodical uh, attempt at identifying these particular issues and doing something about resolving problems rather than just continuing to mouth the fact that they exist. I wonder if the way the Western media covers the conflict, if that is frustrating for you. Well, as, as far as uh, the... Uh, uh, Western media is concerned as opposed to the world media. I have been pleading along with uh, my colleagues, Jewish, Christian and Muslim for a long time in the context of the uh, dialogue uh, between members of the faith or no faith for a Jerusalem consciousness so that the facts are built up in terms of a media network which is interested in content rather than uh, solely in uh, reiterating the usual words. Hamas fires rockets at Israeli cities, Israel hits Gaza with airstrikes, and so forth. You could write that popping up the bar of a major American hotel in uh, any, any city in the, in the Middle East. But I think that the time has come where the fourth estate should exercise its role as a cognitive media, as an informative media, that would do very well not to prove right those whose position is that it is only the violence of some, of the kind that we've seen in the last 24, 48, 72 hours that registers in the Western imagination. 
Media has generally become sensational, and those who either reported or said close to nothing in the last three weeks, despite clear signals and repeated warnings that Israeli measures in Jerusalem were leading the city to the brink of a serious flare-up in tensions, unfortunately, the tens who have died in Gaza, in Jerusalem, in uh, Israeli cities, have not really affected our general consciousness and the uh, firework display of the Iron Dome and so forth. Everything seems to me to be uh, sensational. So I just wonder whether the testimonies that I referred to earlier, the human dignity aspect, how are human beings affected, uh, should not find a priority over and above the um, material uh, manifestations of media. I mean, a few days ago, um, people came in and poured gasoline on trees uh, owned by Palestinians and burnt trees in an area in the Nablus region. I mean, if the violence and the atrocities that had been committed against uh, uh, Muslims were committed against Jews or Christians, would they have uh, received a disproportionate uh, reaction? I do think that the time has come for a reconfiguration of our priorities in terms of media, and the time has come to, as much as possible, put our emotions in the deep freeze and get on with uh, uh, problem solving rather than creating more problems as we uh, talk selectively. The uh, so-called deal of the century uh, and, and normalization, these are presented as great opportunities that the Palestinians are obstinately refusing to, to take up. What do you think of, of those initiatives, the normalization, the deal of the century? Well, I think that normalization starts between uh, the Palestinians and the uh, Israelis. And uh, as that situation is so disproportionately out of kilter, I think uh, that leapfrogging over um, uh, the neighboring regions to Palestine, I'm not only talking about the Palestinians in the occupied territories, but also let us talk about Jordan, for example, so uh, I, I think that uh, when uh, you know, people from all over the world come and say to me, why don't you join BDS? I say, well, of course I can't. I've signed a peace treaty uh, with Israel. So I'm not going to uh, be a poacher and gamekeeper at the same time. But I do think that the same, uh, by the same token, that those who have leapfrogged over us either way, whether from the Gulf or from Israel, and encouraged to do so by outside powers, uh, should be aware of the fact that the deal of the century embodied, embodied none of the ingredients of successful conflict resolution. I mean, whereas some of the Arabs say they have managed to get annexation taken off the table, what does that mean? I mean, the fact is the annexation continues, the occupation continues. And uh, in that sense, I think that Normalization is uh, an issue that should be looked at in a broader context. The substance of water issues, energy issues, transport issues, and uh, the very likelihood of, uh, as I said earlier, socioside or um, ecocide is leading us to some form of cogitocide. If we consider the cogens, uh, our shared wisdom, is also being uh, tested. We are not even allowed to think independently anymore. 
And if that means a normalization, I'm afraid I, I, I don't know that particular lexicon. The situation, as we discussed at the beginning of our conversation, has continued to deteriorate. Right now, what is the way to stop the violence? Because it is it is horrific what's happening. The scenes that are happening uh, are very frightening and very concerning. Well, I, I think we are headed either towards uh, setting the whole of the Middle East ablaze, that is to say, the Gulf plus the um, hinterland, which I would describe as the Levant. And the Levant, of course, to my uh, understanding, includes Arab countries and non-Arab countries, such as Turkey, Iran, and non-Arab ethnicities uh, within the context of Kurd, Turk, Persian, and Arab. But if uh, uh, this particular flare-up is going to lead to a major confrontation and to uh, uh, provide the groundwork for uh, taking on uh, more and more explosive targets in terms of regional um, uh, countries and uh, regionally-based air forces, navies, and, uh, and military bases, then I would think that sitting between the Security Council um, strategic projects, Belt and Road project, Russia and its uh, revival of uh, the dreams of the Empress Catherine in terms of the Levant, uh, the, the Europeans and the United States, uh, of course, uh, at one in terms of uh, the search for peace, but uh, effectively not taking the important step of uh, breaking the deadlock. I think that, uh, as I said, the deadlock has to be broken, but you can only break it by going back to the status quo ante, and I'm talking about Jerusalem in particular. The status quo has changed according to every single uh, change in government, and uh, I I think that the status quo ante, where the parties effectively look at the possibility of addressing the clashes in the Sheikh Jarrah neighborhood, the Al-Aqsa Mosque on on Temple Mount, the injuries, um, 250 and rising of the Palestinians, Hamas launching record rockets into Israel. All of these issues are uh, what worries us from day to day. But I don't think that at this time, to quote Shibli Telhami, the senior fellow at Brookings, Biden can sit this one out. President Biden's passivity in in the face of human rights violations in Jerusalem directly implicates the United States. Telhami goes on to say that the United States is not a bystander in the conflict. It is part and parcel of the asymmetry of power that unfairly hurts one side in favor of the other while making peace more remote. So against this background of continuing violence, which is extremely uh, nerve-wracking and and, uh, and of extreme concern, I just wonder whether those who have violated international norms on all sides are going to be given the opportunity to continue to rule the roost or uh, uh, whether the meek truly shall inherit the world. I've always wondered how meek they must become, how, you know, the idea of uh, swords into plowshares was uh, a term that we repeated regularly. But to do that, we have to go back to an agenda 
which applies free access to all in terms of uh, the, the status quo, not only the legal route and, and, and the, crucially the security and stability route, but also to be a little bit more politically apt, if I can put it that way. We have to emphasize equality, dignity, mutual respect for all. And if international law were adhered adhere to without favor and seemed to be adhered to, the situation would be vastly improved. And the absence of such compliance with international law, there can be no safety and no security. So maybe a Western audience should be aware that certain authentic movements within the region have been aiming for exactly the same priorities that the West would honor and favor, such as democracy, for example. The Molad movement in Israel, the forum specialized in attempting to renew democracy in Israel, I think would find a good uh, uh, counterpart in the Arab world for those calling for a regional citizens' assembly. And that is where, where people also have to pressure for doing the right thing in bad times because it is the right thing to do. It is not uh, materially important for politicians, but it is absolutely existentially important for the Holy Land, the Levant, the whole of the Holy Land. You've uh, spoken about Britain's role, uh, Palestine, you said, is one of those rusty nails that the empire left behind. And, and you quote Shibli Talami, the uh, Brookings scholar, saying, you know, Joe Biden, you can't sit this one out. But, but what about Britain? What role should Britain be playing in this crisis? Well, I, I couldn't agree more. I think that the United Kingdom, after all, uh, has uh, made it uh, very clear that they are supportive of uh, the right of uh, Israel and protection for Israel uh, in the context of repeated American uh, statements. But the uh, student fellowship program of the Balfour Project, to which I referred to earlier, organized by Sir Vincent Fien, who knows Jerusalem very well, having been consul general there for a long period of time, uh, he says, and I, 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 I quote, UK and EU and the US shared a, have a shared aim of two sovereign states, which is undermined systematically daily. So this conference that they are proposing or that they are in, engaged with compares the rule of law with the law in these parts, in the Palestinian territory occupied militarily by Israel in 1967. And they suggest that lasting peace can come only through equality. Uh, and to quote Monica Spooner, she said, I saw the achievement of a Jewish homeland, but discerned great anxiety and fear. I saw the pain of the Palestinians and discovered their anger towards Britain. They felt betrayed by the 1917 Balfour Declaration in which the British government promised support for a homeland for Jews in Palestine, so long as this did not prejudice the rights of the existing inhabitants, 90% of whom were Arab at the time. So why this insistence on bringing more and more Arabs uh, under the swathe of the state of Israel, which uh, if one state were ever to be mooted seriously, would simply have to give equal rights to all of its population. And um, 
I, I don't see that um, Israel has either a Mandela at the present time or uh, a de Klerk who can uh, move this conversation forward. We're, we're miles away from, I remember South Africa attending the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. But uh, if we are to work contra apartheid, then uh, clearly Ariel Sharon's implementation of the disengagement plan from 2005 onwards, and all Israelis nominally embracing the slogan, two states, is, uh, and I, I quote the current prime minister in June the 14th, 2009, in his famous Bar Ilan University speech. None of this is, is going to be realized. Everything is buying time. But is it buying uh, any form of humanity or mutual respect or human dignity? We're hosting a conference next year entitled uh, From Humiliation to Human Dignity. And this is not only the issues we're discussing today. We're talking about the pandemic, man-made disasters, human disasters, man's inhumanity to man. But the epitome of all of this is right in the heart of our uh, Levant region. People say the Middle East is no longer important in world strategy. Well, if anything lands on uh, uh, particularly carrying a nuclear or chemical content on, on Israel, it also lands on all the rest of us, and that's the end of it. So, I mean, it, it, it can't be a zero-sum game. It has to be a win-win process by definition if, in fact, uh, peace now were ever given any credence. But the problem is that uh, we simply do not change our ways, and the stereotypes uh, that we've maintained over these years uh, are almost expected of us by the world press. I mean, when I sat with Rabbi Sachs years ago and talked about Jerusalem in my garden, the BBC reporter said, well, it is extraordinary. All you people should be at each other's throats. Well, we won't. And uh, I, I think that we have to be above personalizing every single issue when it uh, raises its ugly head and above calling each other names. I mean, this kind of... Uh, uh, behavior is what brought us to this denouement in the first place. And I, I continue to say that it is absolutely tragic that Palestinians and Israelis should continue to pay the price of what essentially were crimes committed by um, Christian population, so-called, uh, or a Christian leadership, so-called, against uh, uh, the Jews. Lemkin called it genocide, Lotopracht called it crimes against humanity. Where are we today in terms of the international legal system and its independence, its uh, commitment to uh, the ultimate truth? Isn't that fitting of the Holy Land? And Jerusalem itself is so much a part of the solution, you're saying? I certainly believe so, yes. And I think that... Uh, Years ago, when I saw Henry Kissinger, I said, um, you know, many cities in the world, I believe, Krakow and uh, the Parthenon, uh, Athens, uh, and uh, possibly Dresden, you have a sort of multi-layer solution. Uh, we have uh, a multi-millefeuille in, uh, in, in Jerusalem. And if, if everyone's uh, religious rights were recognized, at a certain level, maybe we could make some progress. And Henry said to me, how much does it cost? 
And I said, well, it's not really a question of cost, it's a question of trust. I think we've spent more on uh, how much does it cost, whether in weapons in particular and oil, and uh, so little on building trust and building human dignity. Thank you, Your Royal Highness. Thank you very much. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. You've been listening to the Arab Digest podcast. My guest today was His Royal Highness Prince Hassan of Jordan. And if you want to find out more about the conference that he spoke about, the Israel-Palestine In Search of the Rule of Law, it's a free virtual conference. It's on May 25th and May 26th. And you can find out the details on the Balfour Project website. We welcome your comments. If you're not already a member and you want to join the club, you can find out how by going to ArabDigest.org. If you're a student, we have a new rate of £10 a month or £100 per year. And for academics and retirees, we're now offering a rate that amounts to a 70% discount. And subscriptions are now available to university libraries. Check it out on ArabDigest.org and follow us on Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. I'm William Law, editor of the Arab Digest. Essential reading from independent sources.